Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining me for today's edition of Exploring the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John. Our scriptural text will come from chapter 5 and we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. You know, some folks that have never met Christ think that they can just go through life living as they will and then on their deathbed make some confession of faith and they'll be all right. Well, today's message addresses that very topic. The title is Whosoever, Whatsoever, but not whensoever. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. And there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus lived in the north. He lived up in the Galilee, near the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. But he would have come south on the map. However, no matter which direction you came from, the scripture says you go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem actually is up in the mountains of Judea. So it doesn't matter whether you're coming from the west or from the east or from the south or from the north, you go up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep gate or sheep market, a pool which is called, in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he saith unto them, unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Can you imagine these guys? Here this fellow, 38 years, had been impotent, unable to, to walk on his own. This miracle took place right in their presence, and rather than praising the Lord, they were accusing this man of breaking the law for carrying his mat around on the, on the Sabbath day. And then asked they him, What man is it that they which said unto thee, verse 12, Take up thy bed and walk? And he said, He was healed, but he wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. You don't know how old this guy was. He's probably in his 60s because... It's inferred in this verse that there was some sin that, was, that resulted in his, this crippling disease that he was experiencing. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus answered them and said this, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, 
because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, in fact, claimed to be deity. Jesus was in the midst of his earthly ministry. We're not sure how far into it, probably somewhere a year, year and a half into his three and a half year ministry. He'd done many great works. We know that he'd already made that first special trip to Jerusalem when he cleansed the temple and chased the money changers out of the temple. He'd already performed many miracles up and around the Galilee, including that first one where he had turned the water and the wine at the marriage of Cana. He'd healed the nobleman's son. He'd healed thousands, perhaps tens of thousands. We know that he'd already met the woman at Sychar's well, which is recorded in John chapter 4. And now in this account in chapter 5, Jesus is again returning to Jerusalem. And verse 1 tells us that there was one of the feasts of the Jews at hand. And we're not sure which feast this was. There were actually seven festivals throughout the course of the year. There were three in the spring, there were three in the fall, and there was one called Shavat, which was uh, what we now call Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and the church was established. Uh, those are the seven primary feasts. They've added a couple. There's the Feast of uh, Purim, uh, celebrating God's deliverance under Esther. And there's the Feast of Lights, uh, which we call Hanukkah. But most likely this would have been one of the three primary feasts being either Passover, Shavat, or the Feast of Tabernacles because it was these three feasts that Jewish men were required by the law to come to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice there at the temple. So at these three occasions the city would just be full of people, the streets overflowing with people and the temple complex especially. Now, the Sheep Gate is up here to the north side of the city. Here you see a, a model of the old city of Jerusalem. You see the temple being Herod's temple here. And inside, this would have been the Gate of Women or the Court of Women. This would have been the Court of Men and the Court of the Priests. The altar would have been right out in front in this court. Here is what's called Solomon's Porch on the south side, the temple facing east. This giant uh, court was the outer court or the Court of the Gentiles. This is what's called Antonio's Fortress. This is the northern part of the city at that point in time, as you can see it on the map right here. And then outside was this special place called the, uh, the Pools of Mercy or the House of Mercy, and you can see them on the map here. There was the Sheep Gate up here to the north. Sacrifices were made here to the north side of the altar, which, by the way, in perfect fulfillment of Scripture, Jesus was crucified up here north of the altar but the sacrifices were made here in the court of the priest, just on the north side of the altar. So the sheep and the animals were brought in through uh, the sheep gate. And there was also a, a market there. People came from many miles away. You know, you might be coming from the northern extremities or actually even from other countries because there were Jews that lived around the world. There were still Jews that lived in Babylon at this point in time. So rather than bringing an offering with them from their home in Tel Aviv and in, in, uh, near the uh, Chabar River in Babylon, they might have just traveled and then bought an animal there at the sheep market, and that was fully acceptable. And near the sheep market was this pool, this pool that was called the House of Pity or the House of Mercy. And surrounding these, this pool was five particular porches that were set aside for ill people whether they be blind or deaf or crippled or all sorts of ailments and illnesses. Now the scriptures don't go into great detail, but simply say that at a certain season, an angel would stir the water or would trouble the water. We have no idea what it looked like. 
Perhaps it was just a, a rippling effect as if you took a small pebble and dropped it in the middle of a pool and it just rippled out until it hit the edges of the pool and bounced back. Perhaps it was something more severe and noticeable like the churning uh, of water as if it was boiling. Uh, we don't know. But at that moment when the water was troubled, the first person to get into the water after this stirring would be healed of whatsoever their infirmity. Now, we'll not break down the actual account of this story. As you can see, there's a lot that we could preach about this morning. Instead, we will examine the application, a deeper spiritual truth, as this story is a perfect picture of salvation. Whosoever could be healed of whatsoever disease or ailment troubled them, but it was not whensoever that person chose. It had to be at the time that God offered that healing. First of all, whosoever can be healed. Folks, whether it was Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, adult or child, rich or poor, learned or ignorant, black or white, any person could be healed. Whosoever first stepped in was made whole regardless of who he was or what social status he was classified, what nationality or educational background he came from, he could be made whole. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no person so sinful that God cannot save them. There is no sin so great that God will not forgive. There is only one sin that will not be forgiven. And that is the sin of unbelief. When Jesus was dealing with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this learned Jew that came to him, Jesus taught him about what it meant to be born again. And he said this, beginning in the most famous verse of Scripture, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Understand this, Jesus did not come to condemn man. Man already stood condemned before a perfect and holy God. Jesus came as that lifeline. Jesus came bringing salvation. You've got two choices. You can either receive that gift of eternal life or you can reject that gift of eternal life. But that sin, the sin of unbelief, is what will cause you to be condemned where you stand without any hope of of eternity in heaven with Christ. Only the sin of rejecting God's gift of mercy and grace, only the sin of rejecting God's gift of salvation through faith in the blood and the finished work and resurrection of Jesus Christ, only the sin of unbelief God will not forgive. Now, folks, I don't accept the supposition that God's atonement is limited. Don't you put the blame on God if you choose to reject Jesus Christ and you wind up going to hell. Healing in the pool of Bethesda was offered to whosoever. And the forgiveness of sin and eternal life is also offered to whosoever. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says in the previous prior verses leading up to verse 12 that he came into his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. Folks, that's an all-inclusive invitation with the determining factor being you. As many as received him, to them gave he the authority to be called the sons of God. Romans 10, 13, but for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, there's no limitations on whosoever. That is a broad-based invitation. John three sixteen. we read just a moment ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever 
whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, speaking in Revelation 3.20, at the close of the dispensation of the church, said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door. That word man is the word for human. If any man will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. John 4.14, while Jesus speaking to the woman at Sychar's well, says this, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Again, in John 11, he said, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 12, 46, I came a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. In Acts 10, verse 43, as Peter was unveiling the gospel to the Gentiles and this Roman centurion named Cornelius, he said to him, Give all the prophets witness that through his name, who? Whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. In Acts 13, 26, as Paul was preaching, he addressed two groups. And there are only two groups in Scripture. In the Scripture, there are Jews and there are Gentiles. That's the two classifications. And Paul said this, men and brethren, those of you listening to the sound of my voice right now, children of the stock of Abraham, that being the Jews, and whosoever among you that feareth God, that being the Gentiles, to you is this word of salvation sent. Romans ten eleven. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. First John four fifteen. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he is in God. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through Christ Jesus. First Timothy two four. God says, "It's my will to have all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." Matthew eighteen fourteen. Jesus said, "Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." Ladies and gentlemen, it's whosoever. It's all inclusive invitation and whosoever will invitation. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's any other way to be saved, if there was any other way to be saved then Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to leave His pre-incarnate glory. He would not have had to leave His home in heaven. He would not have had to humble Himself and accept the mockings and the beatings and the bloody death on the cross at Calvary for sin that you and I deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, if we could earn it and be saved, Jesus would not have had to come and die. If we could just simply join a church or a group and be saved, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. If we could have just washed our sins away in the baptistry waters, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. If we could pay money and buy salvation, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. But Jesus, the last night of his life on earth, as he was going to be arrested within just a few uh, hours, and then he knew what was in front of him. He knew what awaited him on Calvary's cross. He knew the mockings. But the thing that he dreaded the most was not the beatings. It was not the torment. It was not the having his face spit in. It was the fact that he knew that he was the Lamb of God and that the sins of humanity would be placed upon him. It was that that he dreaded. And he was in, as he was in Gethsemane's garden, he prayed three times saying, Father... If there be some other way, then let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Hey, what was the answer? There was no other way. It was necessary in the perfect righteous standards of our sovereign God that the debt of sin could not be overlooked 
That debt had to be paid and a perfect substitute must be offered. And the blood of the perfect eternal Lamb of God was shed for us and whosoever will may be saved. Whosoever will may be saved of whatsoever disease afflicts you. Did not matter whether the person was blind. It did not matter whether that person was deaf as they sat there waiting the uh, troubling of the waters at the pool of mercy, the pool of Bethesda. It did not matter if that person was crippled or maimed or mute or paralyzed or withered or leprous. There was no disease too great for whosoever could be healed of whatsoever disease they were stricken with. Hey, and likewise, ladies and gentlemen, there is no sin too great for the saving power of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 6, this beautiful passage of Scripture. And when you read it, you would think it came out of the New Testament. Well, it didn't come out of the New Testament, but it was written by the same author as of the New Testament. As God says this, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 1 John 2, 2, saying of Jesus, He is the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. And not just for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. Understand what the picture is here. And it's ironic, the timing of the, of the year on the Jewish calendar. We are today in the second year of Rosh Hashanah. The first days of the new Jewish year. It's called a long day of the Lord. And it covers two days. There's the first day of Rosh Hashanah, which was yesterday. Today is the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Then there are seven days called the days of awe. As a Jew in this day and age reflects upon his sin. And then there is on the 10th of the month called Tishri. Actually be eight days from today on our calendar. That is the day Yom Kippur. The old day of atonement. It was on that day. And only that day. Over the course of the Jewish year that the high priest could enter in to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant uh, sat, where the uh, 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 Shekinah glory, the manifest glory of God, dwelt amongst His people as God dwelt there between the, uh, the cherubim. And it was there on that day that the high priest would cleanse himself in a mikvah, put on white garments, and slay a bullock first for his own sins... Then he would take two goats and he would cast lots and he would symbolically place his hands on the head of those goats. Now we know in Hebrews that the shedding of blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient for taking away sins. Folks, this is a picture, this is a shadow of that offering which does take away sin. But that high priest would put his hands on the head of those goats symbolically placing the sins of Israel on that scapegoat, which is where we get the term. And then one goat was led off into the wilderness at a great distance and thrown off a cliff. What's that symbolizing? Those sins are never to be heard from or seen again. The other goat would be slain and the blood would be taken in and sprinkled before the curtain and then taken in and with incense, blood would be sprinkled seven times upon the mercy seat, atoning for the sins of Israel. Folks, understand the picture. We sit here as, as New Testament Christians in the United States of America and we let the, the incredible significance of a passage like that go right past us and don't even get it. But a Jew gets it. All we have gone astray. 
We've all gone after our own ways. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Folks, Jesus, the righteous offering of the Lamb of God was sufficient to pay for every sin that's been committed. Consider some briefly in the scripture that have been saved. I mentioned a moment ago in John chapter 4 as Jesus was going back north after one particular trip to Jerusalem and he intentionally went through Samaria. And while there at Jacob's well, he was sitting and the disciples had gone in to find food. And it was in the heat of the day and a woman came out to draw water. Why did she not come and draw water in the morning with the other ladies or in the evening with the other ladies? Because she was a woman of ill repute. The other ladies didn't want to be seen with her. And here was this Samaritan, a half-breed Jew, looked down on, called dogs by most Jews. She came out to get water and Jesus began conversing with her. And he taught her about a water that she could drink from from which she would never thirst and in her would come up waters into life everlasting. And she said, Master, I would like some of that water. And Jesus, hey, folks, before you can get saved, you first have to realize that you're lost. And Jesus said, very good, go get your husband. I want him in on this as well. She said, oh, I don't have a husband. He said, you spoke right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not really your husband. Hey, she was on top of things. She said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Oh, I guess you're a preacher. You must be a fundamentalist. You don't think it's okay to sleep around, huh? And she began talking about religion. Our forefathers worship here on this mountain. And the Jews worship uh, in Jerusalem. He said, salvation is of the Jews. What you're worshiping out here is, is, is pointless. Salvation is of the Jews. And then Jesus taught her about that living water. And she said, I know that there comest the Messiah. And Jesus said, he that speaketh to you right now am that guy. And she believed in the Messiah and was born again. Hey, are you telling me? That a woman of ill repute, a prostitute, some woman that immoral can be born again? That's exactly what I'm telling you. The Bible says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Hey, what about, what about Zacchaeus? Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem as he came down south uh, by Jericho and then made the ascent from the east going up to the city of Jerusalem, came through Jericho. And there was this little bitty pipsqueak that was hated by everybody. A little Jew by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. He was looked upon as a traitor by his own people. As a tax collector, he was supposed to turn in a certain amount of taxes to the government. And anything he wanted to extort over the top of that, he was able to keep much like American government today. Zacchaeus was not just a publican, but he was the chief among the publicans. No doubt Zacchaeus had lied hundreds and hundreds of times. No doubt he had stolen and taken things that weren't rightly his, much like our government. Hundreds and hundreds of times. No doubt he'd cheated widows and orphans and poor families. No doubt he'd treated them with cruelty, taking money that they couldn't afford to give, money that they needed to pay their own mortgage or to to pay for groceries at the grocery stores, all so that he could just pad his own pockets. 
Certainly this creepy little wicked man couldn't be saved. But Zacchaeus responded to Christ's invitation and received him joyfully with a broken and repentant heart and was incredibly born again. Are you telling me that a little crook like Zacchaeus, a traitor to his people, a thief, a liar, and a cheat can be born again? That's exactly what I'm telling you. The Bible says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. What about the Apostle Paul? You know, we think such great things about Paul. And he was an incredible Christian, but we forget about who he was before he was saved. Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of Christians. When Stephen was stoned to death, the scripture says that Paul consented to his death. In other words, Paul gave testimony against him. Paul encouraged it. Paul enjoyed it. Paul applauded the death of Stephen as this man was being pummeled with, hey, it's not just pebbles. When they stoned somebody, they would take stones like bricks and there would be broken bones and blood and it would be awful. And Paul or Saul of Tarsus stood there and cheered them on as they were killing this man. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says that Saul made havoc. That means to destroy, to break. He made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing or dragging men and women out and committing them to prison. Not only did he oppress men, but he would go into synagogues, he would go into houses and drag out the women also. Acts 9.1 says that Saul would breathe out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I picture a fire-breathing dragon. This man had such zeal and hatred for Christians. Paul, in his own testimony, when he was at Caesarea by the sea, said that uh, in his earlier days he had persecuted this way, that being the Christians. They were first called the way from John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way. So followers of Jesus were called the same. Saul and Paul now later in life, he gave in his testimony, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Acts 26, 11, again he says, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He forced them, held a knife to their throat, tortured them, did something to cause them to, to disavow their claim that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. Hey, if there was ever a man that deserved to burn in hell for all eternity, it was Saul of Tarsus. This man that breathed out threatenings like a fire-breathing dragon, this man that made havoc of the church, this man that would kick down the door to your home or barge through the doors of your church and abuse you and arrest you, both male and female, young and old, and torture you until you recanted your faith or died in the process. Hey, if anybody deserved to go to hell, this man should have gone to hell. Certainly, he can't be saved. Yet, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared unto Paul and kicked him off his donkey and blinded him with this great light. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. And we look forward to being with you next time for the conclusion of this message entitled, Whosoever, Whatsoever, But Not Whensoever. Until next time, may God bless you. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.